Welcome to Calling a City to Life, a podcast from Queen's Park Baptist Church. Please enjoy this catch-up from this week's sermon and join us again later in the week on the podcast where we'll take a deeper dive into this week's talk. Enjoy. You to invite you to join in with this. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer uh, together. It's going to come up on the screen. That's what we're studying. And uh, we do the next slide. Yeah. Okay, so again, what we're doing here is we're proclaiming a truth that reminds us that we're positioned in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And this is a truth that is not only just true out there, but it's true in here. And because this is God's Word, God's Word creates life, God's Word does what it promises. So when we proclaim this, something's going to happen in us, okay? Right. Amen. That's good. So let's do that. And uh, without any further ado, let's say these words, these well-known words together. But they're words that Jesus gave us, not only to repeat, but to renew us and to restore us from inside out. Okay, so let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the power and the glory forever and forever. Amen? Amen. Well, you can have a seat now. Now that I've given you that workout and we have read uh, our scripture for today, And uh, if I haven't already said a really happy and blessed new year to you, then I do um, bless you with that and pray for that in our lives and in our fellowship together. But I want to begin this morning by asking you a difficult question. This is it. Have you been to the gym yet? It is January. Have you put on your running shoes? Have you used them? Have you kept that resolution for the last two weeks of losing weight or resisting the snacks? January is one of those strange months, isn't it, when we, when your wife provides you with water. Praise the Lord, that's great. It's that strange month, isn't it, when we have all of these resolutions to transform who we are, how we live and to grow in our physical well-being. We want to have a better self by February, if possible. Well, as we think about this Lord's Prayer, this Lord's Prayer is, is like a spiritual exercise. It's given to us by Jesus, and it's intended to grow our relationship with God and with others and with the world around about us. And Jesus, when he calls people to follow him, he is inviting us to emulate his life, to make his practices our practice, to make his priorities our priorities, to live the way and pray the way that he prays and lives. And so these words are really a way of enabling us to practice the living presence of God in the world. And as we go through the prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, you're going to see, hopefully, that it's a prayer in two directions. 
Um, the first direction is it's a, it's a prayer that goes Godward, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. And it's a prayer that goes otherward or outward for our daily bread, for our forgiveness in our relationships with one another, and for our spiritual protection. So it's a comprehensive prayer, right? Like this is like going to the gym and putting the treadmill to the max. This is like going to the gym and putting that extra 10 kilos on that you've never done before. This is about stretching our souls and spirits to extend into a larger capacity with God. So today, I want to talk about expanding that relationship with God using two words. You'll be disappointed to hear there are lots of other words in between those two words. But actually, I want you to have these two words that anchor our thinking about our relationship with God as it's expressed in this prayer. And so here's the first word. This prayer is about a life in God about belonging. Belonging is our first word. This prayer, which is a practice of relationship, begins Father, our Father in heaven. Now, you might think that sorry is the hardest word in the world, but Father is the first word in the world. It's the first note of our relationship with God that sets the tone for our complete and whole relationship with the King of Kings. It's a familiar word if you've been around church for some time, but if you step back and think for a moment, it is a hugely shocking and yet wonderful word. It's the word that separates Christian faith from the many religions and philosophies and ideas in our world. It is, if you like, the uniquely Christian word for God. And it is the word Abba. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But it's a word that means Father. And to call God Father is to say that His action has already preceded our response. Right? I don't want to get into the birds and the bees, but you will know that you had no choice in your birth, that a couple of other people were involved before you were ever thought of. And that means because God is our Father, God has taken action before we are alert to our own lives. If you like, you're the most pre-loved person in the universe. While we were still sinners, the Scripture says, Christ died for us. He took action on our behalf. He extended himself in grace for us before he, we knew him. To call God Father is to say that he acts before we respond. It's also to say that what he has done for us is complete. It's extravagant. It's unbounded. Jesus' story of the prodigal son is a story that really reveals to us the heart of the Father. You can find it in, in Luke's gospel in chapter 15. And the word prodigal actually means somebody who is profligate and, and reckless and, and just kind of 
extends and expends all that they have. And actually in that parable, it's not so much the son that's prodigal, it's the father. Because the father gives all he has in his reckless generosity. He doesn't hold back to welcome his broken boy home. And if you read that parable, you'll recognize that the first words that this damaged boy speaks when he returns are the words, Father. We come to God, Father, Abba, the Father who waits for us, the Father who works for us, and the Father who welcomes us home. We need to know this. God is not indifferent to our plight. God has already acted. And as we've been remembering already this morning, God has acted in the most costly way. Did you know that that our failure, our sin, is the most costly thing in the universe? The most expensive, most expensive thing in all of creation is your failure and my failure, your sin and my sin because it cost God the death of his own son. So Abba is that word for God. And it's a word for a new relationship, a new word for a new relationship. As I reminded you last week, it's in Aramaic, which is the heart language that Jesus would have spoken. And this word revolutionized the minds and hearts of the first Christians so much that they just left it untranslated in the Bible. They couldn't find another word to express the depth of what this presented. Because the fact is that to call someone father is actually to speak of a very profound and unique relationship. Only children, whether they're adopted or whether they're biological, can call someone father. It requires an event. It requires a birth or an adoption in order for it to happen. And so Abba is, if you like, it's like the birth cry of a believer in Christ. It's the evidence that the Spirit has entered our hearts and has transformed us from the inside out. Now, we have had a couple of birth cries in our home over the years. And when new life appears in your house, everything gets turned upside down, does it not? That birth cry becomes the priority of everybody else. All the furniture gets moved. The ornaments get moved up a height, and then they get moved up a height again. Because the new birth demands that we clean house, that we transform all things. God comes to live in us. We are born again by the Spirit of God. That means that knowing God is something deep and real and vibrant. It's a work of God's Spirit. Listen to Romans 8, verse 15. The Spirit you received doesn't make you a slave so you live in fear again. But the Spirit you receive brings about adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the prayer word, the heart cry of the children of God. It declares that you are adopted, that God is your Father. 
And so I just want to stop this morning just for a moment and just ask, is that cry in your heart? Do you know that you have been adopted and welcomed into the family of God? Is God your father? His promise, his offer to all of us is that when we place our trust in Jesus, we can become children of the living God. Children born not of human will or intent, but born of the Father. I'll give you a chance to respond to that later on. Abba is a word, a new word for a new relationship. But Abba is also a word for a vital relationship. When we know who God is, we understand who we are. We are Abba's children. I love um, this saying from Brennan Manning, which I really commend to you as a way of speaking to your soul and reminding you of your identity. Brennan Manning says this, define yourself as one radically beloved by God. This is a true self. Every other identity is illusion. Define yourself as one beloved by God. That comes from his book, Abba's Child. Every other identity is an illusion. Now, you don't meet, need me to say for very long that identity is a massive issue in our culture. People are tragically struggling to find some anchor point for identity. And for many um, people in all sorts of ways, we're, we're struggling to concern ourselves with managing some of the, the practical outcomes of that and all the conundrums of what it means to be a human in the 21st century. But let me just say this very simply. Our confusion stems from the fact that we have severed the roots of our true identity. Our true identity comes from being in vital friendship with a living God, living bonds with the God of all life. And you and I will find in this culture, there are all sorts of social pressures, personal deprivations and experiences that we've had that will, will seek to undermine that identity. That's why proclaiming uh, Brennan Manning's saying over our lives is so helpful and so important. But this prayer, beginning with the words, our Father, pulls us back into that place of identity and assur assurance. It's like an internal GPS for your soul to say that I belong to God. I'm Abba's child. I know where I come from. I know who I belong to. I'm in Christ. I am accepted. I'm included. I belong in the eternal love of God. And let me tell you uh, that that is and can be for each one of us one of the most transforming truths in our lives. And hear this, it's not just the kind of mechanics of your brain power I'm inviting you to consider, but I'm inviting you to respond to the very prayer of Jesus. Jesus in John 17 prays this for his church, for all who believe in him. John 17, 21, that you may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, I in them and you in me, anchored in 
the grace and the love and the assurance of God that we are Abba's child. This is a place, a platform to live on in a very challenging world. Not only is it a place of stability, but it is a place of incredible privilege. Um, I want just to quote from uh, Tom Wright in his book on prayer in the New Testament, because it just reminds us of this invitation to call God Father and what it means for us. He says, the Lord's Prayer is an invitation to share in the divine life itself. To share in God's heart and life. It's one of the high roads, he says, into the central mystery of Christian salvation and Christian existence. That the Christian is incorporated into the inner life of the triune God. That you are incorporated. Wait a minute. I'm just going to wait until you're gobsmacked and your head blows off. That God's promise is to welcome us into the inner life of the eternal, ever-loving, all-present, all-powerful God. That's the invitation. Gosh, you should be streaming out of the pews. Not that they have pews, but whatever. And going, Lord, how wonderful is that? That's where I want to be. That's what I want to experience. That is the heart's true home. God wants us to be drawn into that union with him. And here's just a little throwaway comment, but it might be life-changing. That being with God will be the source of your being for God. It will be the source, the platform, the sustenance of your being for God, that you live out of that source. Now, you and I know that what I have said is not easy to live in. It's a struggle to live in friendship, in harmony with God. It's a battle to get there. So I want you to suggest how we might address that battle a little bit and some of those broken connections. Because many of us struggle to belong. We struggle to belong to God. Many of us become preoccupied with whether or not God loves us or not, or whether he likes us or not. Many of us become neurotic about the opinions of others. What do they think about me? You know, what am, what am I? Who do, they, who do they think I am? What can I do to make them think better of me? All that kind of stuff. And Vicky reminded us last week, and I just want to kind of almost kind of push you in a direction of exploration. Vicky reminded us last week that one of the major impediments to connecting is what's called our attachment style. That is the way in which we as human beings form bonds of relationship. Quite often that can be formed really super early in our lives and um, really as, as very young children. But that way of relating to humans kind of gets transposed sometimes onto how we then relate to God because it's the only way of relating that we really know. And there are three primary ways in which we struggle to relate. And I want just to suggest uh, the three of these that might be ways in which you can explore how you bond in union with God. The first way is uh, called secure attachment. And that kind of means those relaxed and chilled out and kind of centered people who 
you know, are quite happy in themselves. They feel supported. They feel every relationship's going to be okay. And they take risks thinking it'll be fine. People will like me after all. And it kind of is natural for these terrible people, isn't it? You know, they just seem to flow through life as if there's no problems. And sometimes it can be so natural that you can't see that anybody else might have a problem with this. So you go, oh, they're just, got a, they're just crazy people because they're kind of all over the place. So maybe if that's you, you need to be a little bit more sensitive. That's secure attachment. There's also avoidant attachment. These are those of us who have a bit of a commitment phobia. And we dodge and duck connections. And when we get too close to people, we kind of pull back. And we kind of haul ourselves into our own space. We're avoidant. We kind of don't want to go the, the whole way. Some of you are thinking, Do you know, that's how me and my wife work. Or that's what it's like in my team at work. I can see somebody like that, or I'm like that in my workplace. And then there's anxious attachment that craves and needs intimacy, but it's so insecure. And when we're anxious, we can get really clingy and fearful that the relationship's going to fall apart. Or we can sabotage commitments and relationships because we're so fearful. I've certainly done that in the past, sabotaged a few relationships. Um, and, and then maybe all of us are just a bit of a mashup of all of these things. But you can see how those human traits affect our relationships with others, with the world, and even with God. Now, I'm not here to blame anybody or blame your parents or your history or whatever. I don't really want to get into that at all. I just want to suggest that you might like to look into that and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what you're struggling with. What are the impediments to your relating to God? And maybe just simply to ask the question, do I see a pattern in how I relate to God and how I relate to people? Do you know what? Just simply being aware of this can be really helpful. First word, Abba, is that cry of new life. And I want just to round up this first half by, by saying that we need to be conscious that not only is this a reality that we have been translated into a relationship where God is our Father and we are considered to be His children. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, says Romans 8, is continually reminding us, continually provoking us. The Holy Spirit has been tasked with the job of telling us that we are God's children. So do you know what? He's on it. And when we get on it, we'll find he's there ahead of us. Abba is the first word of this prayer. And then the second word, life in God is about hallowing. It's about holiness. We say, your name be hallowed. And it's interesting that in this prayer, the name of God that appears is the name Father. And we're to treat that name of God and every other name that God has revealed to describe himself, we're to treat that as holy, as sacred, as having its own value, a value that we don't have permission to change or to diminish or to redefine. What am I saying? I'm saying that you and I don't get to decide who God is. We don't. Only God 
truly is God, and he makes himself known to us. And so, to kind of summarize that, we are in the business of revelation and not projection. We don't get to project onto God what we would like God to be. We are in a position where we have to receive and understand what God reveals himself to be. And so that means that holiness is what God is, not what we conceive him to be. And we, we do that. We do project onto God from our own human experiences. And so we're to hallow the name of God. We need to disentangle the truth of who he is from our human perceptions. Does that make sense? So let me put it like this. God is not a big version of your mom and dad, a kind of projection of your likes and dislikes. Those of us who are human parents, big confession, we get it wrong, we have limitations. We're not exactly the best example of God. And so we need to operate from what God says about God's self. And you know what? There's plenty to go on. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so we have to understand who God shows himself to be and receive the reality. We have to do that from Scripture. We have to ask the Spirit to interpret things. And you know, it's really helpful to get in line with other people who have different perspectives. I can get so sort of blindsided and fixated on understanding a certain kind of thing or understanding things a certain way. I think I'm normal. And then I speak to people and I realize I'm not so normal afterwards. Maybe you've had that same experience. God defines who God is, and we have to get with the program. So a couple of things that that means for us this morning. It means receiving the truth that Abba, Father, is not a distant title or a broad, generalized definition, but it's an invitation to the privilege of exceptional intimacy. God wants to relate to us. He is intimate and personal. But it also means receiving the, the truth that Abba is not a sentimental, sloshy term for an overfamiliar sugar daddy. God being Abba is not God being a slot machine to give you what you want. Abba is a term of respect. I know some people like to say, Daddy, that's probably not actually what the word means. Dear Father is probably more close to it. It's a most profound and trusting reverence. Holiness is who God is, not who we make him up to be. And then finally, as we think about this word, hallowing, holiness puts things right. You see, if you pray, God, make your name holy. Do you know, that's a dangerous prayer. In fact, I'm coming to the conclusion that most prayers are pretty dangerous. Because if you pray according to the will and the character of God, then you're getting into something that is transformative for the whole of creation and for all of people. 
To ask for God's name to be made holy is to ask that the refining, purifying fire of God, which does not tolerate anything unholy or anti-God, is to pray that that fire will be released in your soul and in the world. Holiness is not just an antiquated concept. Holiness is an active agent. God's holiness is at work. God's holiness, when we come and bring ourselves before him and ask that he might make things sacred and holy, means that he cleans house, that he brings into alignment in our lives that which is out of line. Make your name holy, says Brendan Manning again. I just want to give you this other quote because I thought it was so helpful. He said, when I pray, I want neither a terrorist spirituality. I think we can put that up in the screen. I want neither a terrorist spirituality that keeps me in a perpetual state of fright about being in the right relationship with my Heavenly Father, nor a sappy spirituality that portrays God as being a benign teddy bear, that there is no aberrant behavior or desire of mine that he will not condone. Instead, I want a relationship with the Abba of Jesus who is infinitely compassionate with my brokenness and at the same time an awesome, incomprehensible, and unwieldy mystery. I love that word, unwieldy. You know, have you ever tried to be in a small space with somebody who's unwieldy? They take up space. They bump us out of our comfort zone. They push us off the pedestal. God is unwieldy. He doesn't move out of position so that we can be the center of attraction. He pushes us out of the center in order that he might be preeminent. And so to pray for his holiness is to pray that he would be central and that he would put things in the rightful place. In fact, even more is to pray that God's outrage, and it is an outrage against injustice and evil, would be released that God's hostility, his right and pure hostility against sin and evil would be unleashed. Now, that is frightening, but it is also transformative. A God who is Abba and who is holy knows all things about us. He welcomes us as we are, but praise God, he doesn't leave us as we are. He comes to confront he comes to challenge. He comes to transform. I don't know about you, but I am not good at receiving feedback, especially when the feedback comes, Ian, this is just in love. <laughs> I think all of us are really reluctant to find that we're actually imperfect. There's a great liberty in discovering that you're not perfect because you're open to learning. But we react. We are fearful of being confronted with things that are not right or correct or need to be improved in our lives. And so the fact that God is holy can actually in some ways drive us away and drive us into hiding. And that's why we need these two words together. I just want to really end by uh, inviting you to hold in your heart the fact that God is both holy and love. They are 
if you like, the two sides, two aspects to what he's like. And so here's the thing. God holds you in his love even as he confronts you in his holiness. God draws you close to him and as he does so, he holds you in that place so that you cannot run away from his loving, transformative power. God is too loving to leave us as we are. God is too holy not to transform us into the likeness of his son. God can hold holiness and love together in his hands. How do I know that? I know that because he did it on the cross. I know that because the deepest revelation of God comes to us when we consider what he did for us on the cross. And that his outrage at sin was poured out in the person of his son who loved himself so much that he gave himself for us. Love and justice embraced in Christ on the cross. And he seeks to transform us as love and justice embrace in our souls and our hearts as we pray these prayers. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would.